Welcome to Pagan Coffee Talk, a traditional Wiccan podcast where we will discuss topics affecting the pagan community from a traditionalist perspective. The topics we discuss are picked from our magical hat, and the discussions are unscripted. The talk should be led by Lord Chase Knight Smith, Elder and High Priest of Third Degree, and he's joined by Keegan, First Degree Priestess. Pagan Coffee Talk is brought to you by Life Temple and Seminary. Welcome to Pagan Coffee Talk. I'm Keegan, and as always, Lord Knight. You ready for a topic? Sure. It's a goodie. We're doomed. <laughs> Religious cultural appropriation. Oh, this is going to be a short topic. Maybe. Maybe not. Wow, we're just saying craft. How, how can we, you know, culturally appropriate anything? We're all craft. Well, using symbols when you don't know what they mean. Exploiting heritage that's not your own. See, I don't really feel that way. Okay, well, let me give you the definition here. By definition, cultural appropriation is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the custom practices and ideas of one people or society by members other than and typically more dominant. I got that. <laughs> so who decides what's ethical and moral on this? It's a good question. Well, if you think about just cultural appropriation, so you have someone dressing in, say, African wear, yeah. but they have no African descent. That right. would be cultural appropriation. So with religious cultural appropriation, if we don't have a connection, say I wanted to practice voodoo, but I have no history connected there, or Native American or whatever, is that, or, or our Celtic background, if we can't prove that we have a Celtic history, is that offensive? See, I don't see that in craft. I mean, we all have mutual respect for one another because technically we culturally appropriate all deities. You're talking about a slippery slope here because if we look back at the history of things, let's look at the church. Technically, they culturally appropriated certain holidays. Yes. And actually placed their holidays on our holidays to make it easier for the transference or the conversion of the masses. Well, is that offensive to you? No, it's not. Who am I to say, you know, they're wrong or right? Okay. So the Christian church brought in a Christmas tree. History says that is a pagan tradition, the Yule Long, the Yule Tree. Right. Those are. And that's... The Christians doing it is not offensive to you, or anyone who wants to do it is not offensive to you. No. I mean, because we're back to, why do I have a right to judge them? Does it bother you that they might not know why they're doing it? It'd be nice for them to know, but I don't think the masses have a clue. Look at Santa Claus. We're talking about the Holly King here. Right. But, I mean, it's not an exact 
replica of the Holy King. So if you're not offended, and the Christian church, I think people will agree, took a lot of the pagan symbols and a lot of their holidays and turned them into their own, and you're not offended by that, so others shouldn't be either. Again, you know, I'm not going to tell what individual people do. I mean, I'm not going to get up in arms and tramp up and down the street saying we need our holidays back or something. It's not something I actually think about. Do you? No, I don't. I do what's best for me and to help my spiritual growth. And if bringing a Christmas tree in your house is something you want to do, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Right. Now, as far as in the pagan community at a whole or in craft community, I think the majority of us just think it as craft, that it is our culture, regardless of where it came from. What about people outside of craft who say you can't do that? You don't have any, you know, ancestral roots in Africa, so you can't practice voodoo or you can't use, you know, Papa Legba or something like that. Well, I mean, you know, you're standing outside of craft, though. Right. You're not part of the craft community. Well, can you see you how know, that might I, be offensive? I could see where somebody might perceive it as offensive, but, you know, I'm not going to get up in arms if I go down to New Orleans and see a voodoo priestess doing some of the rituals we do. So I'm not going to get offended over the Christians. Why should I get offended over that? Right. We're still talking about spiritual paths here. Well, people don't have a trademark on deities, do they? No. Oh, no, this is my God. You can't worship. What? Right. That'd be like me going, oh, no, no, you're not Celtic, so therefore, you know, you can't worship the Tawafidate and on. You know, who am I to sit there and tell somebody what they can and cannot do? Well, what would you tell someone who, who came to you and said, I am Celtic, I do have Celtic heritage, and it's very offensive that you guys take on that word, that claim, that you don't own. You can't prove you're Celtic, and it upsets me. I'm offended by it. Sorry, and... <laughs> it's a personal problem. Yeah, it's a personal problem. I ran across somebody like that that said, you know, I couldn't do a certain practice or something. I would literally tell them, you know, that's a personal problem. You need to work on that. Why does it offend you? What is it about it that actually offends you? I think a lot of times people have it in their head that if you're not bloodline, you can't prove that you are related or some sort of ancestry there, then you can't appreciate it. Well, I'm still back to, like you said, it isn't like anybody has a trademark on any religion. And you don't own it. No. Just as easily as I can get off of here from you and go down to the local synagogue and say, hey, I, I want to become Jewish. I would like to be there when that happens. You know, I could do the same thing and go to the Catholic Church, decide to become Muslim tomorrow. Are they going to kick me out of that religion because I don't have roots in that? I don't know. I know a lot of people that started out a different religion and married somebody of a different religion, so they convert to that religion. Yeah, I do too. You know, a, a 
Baptist woman marries a Jewish man. She decides to become Jewish. In my head, I don't see where there's a problem on there. Just because we're talking about different cultures and stuff like that, I mean, what can't we learn from each other? Don't get me wrong, yeah, I get a little bit more offended when, you know, I got somebody who's out there claiming to be a witch, and they're doing it more for shock value. Wouldn't that be a form of religious cultural appropriation? You're not doing it to actually be part of the religion. And these are the people that don't really follow what in the world we do or have a clue what in the world we do. They've read one book and, oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, is that not how you do it? No, I mean, there still has to be some training there. You know, the majority of these people are going to be more still finding their way. When that happens, it's sort of more like, do you really believe in this? You bring up a good point. I don't necessarily consider that a cultural appropriation. I consider this, this is what the public looks at, and this might be the only exposure some people might get. Right. Yeah, you know, that's like going down the street and you've got that one car in front of you that's got all these pagan bumper stickers on it. Oh, yeah. To me, this is a tension-seeking behavior. My other car is a broomstick. Yeah. I don't know about other temples, but, you know, I know in our temple we're pretty low-key. It's a mystery religion. Right. For many reasons. For many reasons. You know, we don't stand out. You know, we're no different than anybody else. And we typically don't want to shout it out to everybody coming. Well, no, I mean, religion to me is a personal and private thing. Yeah. You know, I get more bothered by that person at work or in this place that just wants to talk about the religion all the time. Yeah. While I'm sitting back thinking, okay, if I do that, I'm going to get persecuted. That's right. We believe in this country that, you know, we have freedom of religion on paper. But how much freedom do we actually have? You know, I've known many of temples, and I've heard some horror stories about some of the stuff that's happened. I know a lot of people will hear that and go, oh, no, 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 that was a long time ago, and people didn't understand, blah, blah, blah. It still happens today. You've got families living in certain areas, and no, they can't go into their backyard and do ritual. Because as soon as they do, and if they got kids, the neighbors are calling DSS on them, social uh, services on the uh, on the parents saying, oh, no, 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 they were out there. They were killing pigeons or turkeys or whatever, devil-worshipping stuff. That can't be good for these kids. And unfortunately, once you get caught into that cycle, boys that in the back of their minds. Or you could lose your job. Yeah. Nobody ever gets fired for being a certain religion. Nobody ever gets fired for being gay. No, of course not. There's always another excuse. You know, your work performance ain't been that great. You come in late yesterday. You came in late. You never get fired for this. If you think about it this way, you know, if people at work found out about your religion, and then it suddenly becomes a hostile environment where it's not necessarily completely hostile. It's just nobody ever talks to you or snubs you or gives you flippant answers all of a sudden. Why would you want to be there anyway? Right. 
people suddenly starting to treat you different. Why do you think that is? People have biases. Everybody has a bias somewhere along the lines. Everybody. Regardless if it's religion or whatever. Everybody has biases. Now, it's different when you recognize that bias and you try your best not to do it. In our culture, or at least in the, our temple culture, we have this really good foundation in which we have to keep our word. Mm-hmm. That expectation is always there. So if you sit there and say you're going to call back in two minutes, you're going to call back in two minutes which often makes us very careful about what we say and how we say it. Yes, it does. <laughs> but when you get used to that, when you're in your household and around people all the time that know this and behave this way, when you go into a work situation and you know in the back of your head you've got to keep your word and you're boss asks you to do something, you do it, or you're some type of supervisor or something, you ask an employee to do something, they say, yeah, blah, 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 and run off and never do it, it gets me a little upset. And then I have to remind myself, they're not us. I cannot hold them to the same standard. That's good. Is this fair to us? Because if they come and ask us to do something, we tell them we will, we do it. Let's ask that question. If someone of non-craft asks you to do something and you give your word, do you have to keep it? Yes, I gave my word. You gave your word. Because to us, it doesn't matter if they are craft or if they're not. It's about me. As a person, I gave my word. Right. I've had one in particular that realized this about the culture I was living in and doing and used that to his advantage. Quite a lot. If I can just get him to say yes. Right. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can go on a three-week hiatus, and I know what will get done. He'll stay there until, you know, midnight, making sure it got done. Even though I think we're getting off topic here a little bit, but. Good topic, though. But literally, somebody outside of craft telling me, okay, you know, you can't practice this. I'm still like, yeah, but you're not part of craft either, so how can you tell me what I can and can't do? Well, I think with with us, and I can speak, I can only speak for us, but with us, there's two things here. One, because we are a Celtic tradition, there's a lot of Celtic history that we're trained in, that we study to know why we're doing certain things. Your big thing is to know why you're doing something. Right. So whatever deity or whatever colors or symbols that you wanted to use, why? What's the history there? Let me give you an example here, you know, how temple functions like this. Okay, in Lord Men's lecture series, there was a lot of Native American stuff, which he learned through Lord Foxfire, Lord Nikita Foxfire, who was Native American. Okay. He was a part of temple. I never actually taught the stuff because I'm not Native American. So I took it out of my lecture series and replaced it with more Celtic stuff. Well, until he passed away, if anybody wanted to know more about Native American stuff and stuff like that, I could send them to him. That was his field of expertise. You know, it's like Lady Abba is from Sicily descent. 
she brings us Straga. Well, what if you wanted so, I mean, to study Roman, or you wanted to to work with the Roman deity, and we don't but, have Roman person? They would be studying, learning history. Right. Still, even then, this is all still brought in. I mean, we're still showing it the same reverence we do our own customs. I think it's just important, not just to us, but anybody practicing religion know what and why they're doing, as opposed yeah. to going through the mood. Well, I was taught this. I seen my mother do it. I seen my grandmother do it. This is just what we do. Why? It still always comes back to why. But, I mean, if you think about it this way, if if I had someone come to the temple and their background was in voodoo, they would be welcomed just as much as anybody else. Because, I mean, still, the concept is that no matter what in the world you believe, when we come together as a group, here's what we're going to do when we're together. Now, if the person is practicing voodoo, who's a member of temple, comes to me and goes, hey, I'd like to do a voodoo ritual for this particular full moon or Sabbath, I don't have a problem with that. But there is still going to be some of that structure of what we're going to do when we're together. Because that's what we are. Because that's what we are. And then that person themselves will be more likely the person leading ritual that night. So you can appreciate, or we can appreciate anybody's individuality. Right. And maybe learn something? Maybe learn something. So you don't feel like you're a gatekeeper to Wicca or paganism or... Which hood? No. The only thing I gatekeep is our traditional mysteries. That's what we all do. But as you spend time in temple and you move up in degrees, you're going to learn those things. But not the outside person. Not the outside person, no. Anybody can come and take our first degree classes because we tell everybody up front, just because you take our classes, does not guarantee initiation. That is a spiritual matter, if you want to get initiated or not. We've had people in temp- that have came to Temple, done all 13 lectures, and decided not to, for whatever reason. Would you be offended if they took what they learned, twisted it, and turned it around, and gave it different flavor, and made their own Temple? No. No. Why would I? You know, the only thing I would tell that individual is that, the only thing that individual can say, and I'd make sure they understood this, is I studied here and finished these courses or this lecture series. They could not go and say, hey, look, I, you know, I did this and now I'm a member or first degree of Life Temple and Seminary. Because until you do that initiation, you're not. But as far as witchhood <laughs> itself, you're not a gatekeeper. You don't feel no. like you're a gatekeeper. No, I don't. Even if someone said, you know, I'm a Celtic witch and I worship Nawada, and to me, he's a dwarf and um, he's got three heads, and I put him in my pocket and I carry him around, and that's Nawada. You're okay with that? Who am I to judge? <laughs> well, history tells us that's incorrect information. <laughs> well, you know, if that's what the person wants to believe, that they can. More power to you. Maybe you need to read a little bit more, you know, history or myth, but okay. If you think Nawada's going to be okay being a dwarf, good for you. <laughs> good for you. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs>
<laughs> what if Abel came in and said, you know, I have no history in Hindu or Buddhism. I have no history there. I know very little. But I came in and said, I found on the Internet this Hindu or this Buddhist way of meditating, and this is what we're going to do, or this is what we're going to try to do, or this is what we're going to talk about. Would you, great, that's wonderful, or would it be a, you need to study up on this and learn why they're doing it this way, why they're doing this? That sounds more like me. I'm going to say, you might want to study up on this. Just reading one website or one book. Yeah, YouTube video. Yeah. You know, that's not enough. Because of the religious cultural appropriation? Well, no, I mean, you just need to know why you're doing it that way. Accepting something at face value without knowing why can lead down some, you know, next thing you know, you could be wind up drinking Kool-Aid. <laughs> lead down the road to Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, with not a happy ending. So you just don't get on board with the uh, religious cultural appropriation. No, I just I don't see where it's relevant. I mean, I've seen and heard of people that were this, then became that. I've heard some people who have been Wiccan and decided to switch back over to Christianity. I've taught people who uh, used to be Catholic, and now they're this. But they're studying it. They're learning what, it. What about people who don't? They just wake up one day and go, yep. I am a witch, and my name is, you know, like you like to say, Lady Greenbean. Lady Greenbean? Yeah. So I do have a problem with the whole Lord and Lady thing. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, Lord and Lady are titles. They are earned titles. You know, in our tradition, you get those at second degree, and that's after quite a number of years of study and service to the religion and some other requirements being made, you're not Blood, just... sweat, and tears. Tears. <laughs> so that person that wakes up and goes, hey, yeah, today I'm going to be a witch. Okay, who am I to tell them they're not? Is it necessarily going to make them a good witch because they just woke up and read one book? Not necessarily. Would they be a witch? Oh, you're pushing that, ain't you? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Unfortunately, in my mind, no, they're not. I truly, truly believe it takes a witch to make a witch. There is something about that initiation process that changes you. Mm-hmm. It really does. Like everybody else, I started off solitary and still had questions and Kept on reading books after books after books and kept on seeing the same thing missing over and over again. And if there's nobody around you or anything like that, I can understand that where you're, you're isolated. But I'm sorry with the internet and stuff like that. I'm, if it's really what you want, yeah, you're going to drive two, four hours to go take these classes. Yeah. But the, so much of an inconvenience to drive two or three hours to go take a class. Are you sure this is the right path for you? Right. You know, how bad do you really want it? Me, personally, 
when I met Lord Mann and did convince him to finally teach me, driving once a month to his place, which was two or three hours away, I did. Wholeheartedly. Didn't think about it because I wanted it that bad. So, yeah, I mean, every so often I get these people that call up and go, hey, can I take classes, blah, blah, blah. Hey, the closest person I have to you is two or three hours away. Oh. Mm-mm. You know. It's not a religion to take lightly. Finding a good temple out there sometimes is, or a good coven or a good teacher is really hard to find. Yes, you know, it is. Not, not, not that I'm putting myself up on no pedestal or anything. I'll do All right. <laughs> but. My point there is, yeah, you might have to drive out of your way. But to me, it also shows your dedication to the religion to begin with. Well, it's not, it's not an easy religion. Um, it's not uh, sunshine and crystals and uh, it's not a beautiful moment all the time. You know, you've got to work on it. You've got to work hard on it. Yeah. This is not a religion for the masses. No. No, it's not. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. We have concepts and ideas that are at the core of our beliefs that can take some people years to deal with. Or continuously deal. That's their life now. (laughs) Continuously. And when we're sitting back going, hey, this is what you're going to have to do. Now, with that said, we're not asking you to do anything that, we haven't done ourselves. Right. Or still not doing that, you know, ourselves. <laughs> well, you don't you don't give anything out. You don't give it away. It has to be earned. Yes. So I know, especially with our temple, I know that if I'm talking to a lawyer or lady, they've earned that title. They've worked hard for that title. Yes. And, yeah, it does bother me for a little bit to think that somebody woke up yesterday and went, oh, I'm going to call myself Lady Greenbean mm-hmm. or Lord Greenbean, and that's it. And it took me umpteen years just to get the second degree. Then it took me so much longer to get the third degree. It's hard. The point is we work hard, 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 hard for it. I mean, but that's what you're going to get out of most traditional temples or covens is there's them guideposts. There's somebody there that's already gone through it to kind of help you out. Keep you between the ditches. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to do it for you. And they might not always give you the answer you want, but they're going to give you the answer you need. Yes, that's true. So that's offensive to you. I don't want to say it's offensive. It just grinds my gears. It's offensive. Say it. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, hoop and holler and scream and yell and all that. It's just going to be, yeah, okay. <laughs> Would you call him Lord or Lady? I, I do not know. I would probably try my best to avoid saying their name. Hey, you. <laughs> you know. Hey, stranger. <laughs> because you got to also think about it this way. Most people who are who have that title of Lord or Lady do not ever actually introduce themselves nope. as Lord or Lady. 
Nope. Or you haven't. Well, I mean, that's part of our protocol. We don't do it. If I have to do it myself, it's considered more arrogant. Right. I can see that. Which is funny because I can introduce myself as Chase Knight Smith, third degree of Life Temple and Seminary. But not Lord Knight. Right. In our custom, as soon as you hear that, you know that that person's at least second degree or higher. Right. Like in our protocol, the first people, when you come in the temple, you automatically greet before anybody else is the lady of temple. Then you go see the Lord. Appointment to the elders. Yeah. The general direction. And I'll try to, try to make do once I see them. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Huh. So if you're going to introduce yourself, you leave the Lord out. Right. But you add all three names in there. Yeah. I mean, the reason I add all three names in there is because somebody else could be named Knight. But you don't put the Lord. But I don't put the Lord in there. But you do put the third degree. I do put the third degree in there. That's so weird. Like, if I go to do a lecture, which I've been known to do, if I go do a lecture somewhere, I will get up there and introduce myself if I do not have anybody else with me. Now, luckily, when I do most of these, especially if I'm going to university or somewhere like that, the teacher of the class will introduce me. Now, they'll put the Lord on there, but me, myself, no. Is that your personal thought, or is that a protocol thing? It is a protocol thing, and it's also my personal preference. Walking up to somebody going, hey, yeah, hey, I'm Lord Nightsmith. I mean, that's like me saying, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm somebody important, where me personally, I don't think I'm that important. You know, you got people out there in the craft community at large, and they got egos as big as my house. Bigger. And it's interesting because I know these people, they've had the training, they've had the practice, they've earned their titles. I just don't know where their ego is coming from. I don't know how that happens. You beat it out of us. <laughs> I try. I don't always succeed. <laughs> and you no. most definitely don't have an ego. I try not to. You don't. You're oddly humble. You're sitting there and you're talking to somebody or something and they just say something or do something and it's hard not to be kind of all superior. Mm -hmm. You know, where they're rambling on about some concept that they barely even grasp. Right. And you're like, you're missing so much. To them, it might might seem, you know, not as important as it does to me, but me sitting there going, you know, there's a whole lot more behind that statement than just that. Well, I know with your students and with, with your members, you'll definitely call them out and go, wait a minute. Why? Or what else? Or what does that mean? Um, So the person who's not your student, not part of your coven, you wouldn't call them out? Probably not. You would just, uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it's more along the lines of, you know, it's my dog, I'll kick it. (laughs) And you do. (laughs) Because with y'all, I know what I've trained y'all to do. And what we should know. 
and what you should know and what expectations are there. It's not like I'm blindsiding y'all with something you don't know. So it's hard when you're dealing with people outside of either traditional or just completely solitary and don't have a freaking clue. But do you like dealing with people like that? I don't mind it. The ones that want to act a little arrogant and stuff can get a little on my nerves because they don't want to listen to the voice of experience, I guess, or somebody else's viewpoint. You're somebody that might know more than they do? Well, I'm not going to say that. I wanted to say a difference of viewpoint. I mean, because, you know, for years, me and Lord Raceland, he used to think we had different viewpoints of stuff. And it wasn't until Lady Alba came around to where, you know, they were sitting there one day talking about some stuff, and she's just like, he teaches us the same thing. He might not word it the way you do, but same concept. You know, well, that's where the concept's more important sometimes than what you're actually saying or how you're saying it. Well, that's a good thing, though, to have a different yeah. view or a different way to say it or whatever. That's a good thing. Right. Because, like, you know, I'll be sitting there teaching somebody, especially if I'm teaching a crowd, and, you know, I might say something, and I'll see that thousand-yard stare in some people. <laughs> and I'll go back and try to explain it a different way. If they don't get it, I'll try again. Normally, after the, you know, second or third attempt, you start seeing some of them start going, oh, oh, okay. There might be that one person later that just I've completely boggled that I might have to move on from that subject just to get the class done and get with them later one-on-one. The same thing has happened. You've been teaching me, and I just couldn't catch whatever it was you were saying. I just You'd, you'd reword it, like, no, don't get it. You'd draw a picture, no, don't get it. <laughs> and then Altman would come in and go, okay, think about it like this. <laughs> right. Oh, so every once in a while, having someone else come in yeah. helps, especially with the thicker people. <laughs> Well, I don't want to say thicker. It's just the difference in learning. You know, there's always that one thing that you just can't get. You just can't grasp it. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, me coming in there and suddenly going, hey, we're going to talk about some quantum physics today. Then you come in and you're kind of like, okay, I thought I was learning witchcraft. Why in the world are we going over quantum physics? Yes. What do you want me to say? You do you put know. physics in there, you know. I do. I do. I do. I put. Well, I know, actually, we talk more about quantum physics than we do physics. You don't call it that. No. It'd scare people. They run for the door. Run for the door. <laughs> quantum you physics, know. I got to go. No, you're sitting there talking about string theory and all this other stuff, and I know at first, you know, some people will sit there and go, what does this have to do with witchcraft? Normally, by the time I get done explaining it, everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Usually. Some people who remain nameless, Keegan, <laughs> uh, will sit there and go, uh, huh? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Draw me a picture. Dumb it down for me, way down. Or just, or just look at me and go, you know, I was an English major, not a science major. <laughs> you, on the other hand, you want to throw that science out there all the time. 
Well, I mean, the two are not necessarily separate. Well, I'm out of coffee. Oh, I've been out of coffee. Thank you for listening to Pagan Coffee Talk. I hope you join us next week. We travel down this trodden path, a maze of stone and mire. Just hold my hand as we pass by a sea of blazing pyres. And so it is the end of our days, so walk with me till morning breaks. And so it is the end of our days, so walk with me till morning breaks.